one of the things that I was taught was that the Hebrew word ahava, which is love, comes from the root of the word hav, which means, which is one of the ways in the Hebrew language to say to give or giving. And so the root of love is giving, right? And so really Jewish tradition teaches this idea that to increase love for another person, to increase love for the world, to increase love for your community, you need to dig deep and give to it. Um, exciting. Hi, Alishaba. Hi, Dahlia. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm great. Chodesh Tov and happy birthday. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, yes, welcome Virgo season. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but I'm so excited to be doing this with you finally. This is a project we've talked about for so long, and it's so excited to get this launched with you. Um, so let's tell people who are listening what we're all about and what this is all about. Sounds great. Do you want to start? Sure. So my name is Dahlia. I um, am a wife and a mother and a professional and I'm a Jew and I've been a Jew my whole life and um, that is not necessarily the case for everybody who's Jewish but it is part of my story and I really love Judaism and I love discussing big ideas Um, and so this seemed like a really interesting and wonderful partnership with you Elisheva to really have a space where we could dive in and talk about what it means to be Jewish in North America right now in all of its different shapes and forms and iterations and our lived experiences and other lived experiences. And um, it's such a big, broad, complicated question. And who better to dive in than to people who like each other so much and love talking about big ideas and also share uh, a really intense love for being Jewish. How about you, Alishava? Oh, I love that. I couldn't agree more. Um, Sure. My name is Elisheva Thompson. Um, I have not been Jewish my whole life. I um, grew up with a couple different um, faith traditions, but um, grew up very much. I grew up in LA. Most of my friends were Jewish and I grew up with a deep respect for Judaism, which isn't to say that I thought that it could ever be mine. I didn't even realize you could convert to Judaism. It wasn't on my radar at all. Um, but once I found it on my own later in my spiritual journey, I realized um, just how much uh, how much value there is here. And spiritual value, esoteric value, but also um, value in terms of our daily lives. It really helps it helps us in our daily lives. And I've noticed through my journey that not everyone knows that. Um, There's so much here. There's so many jewels here. And it's amazing to me that um, not a lot of people know about it. But at the same time, those that do, um, we, I sort of want to hear their stories. I feel like there are so many great stories and great um, applications of Judaism in modern life that we're not hearing about. so I am also um, a mother, a professional. I'm in marketing in my in my daily life, um, which is how I met Dahlia. And um, Dahlia and I share a love of, like she said, big questions, um, big ideas, uh, data, um, and so <laughs> um, and so exploring this question is, um, or this topic, I should say, um, is really exciting. And I and I can't wait to listen to all the stories that um, that come up as we ask these questions together and and with other people. 
Awesome. I'm so glad you said that about data um, because I totally forgot to mention that, yes, uh, professionally, Elisha and I work together and personally, we're just really good friends because Elisha was amazing. Um, but as part of my professional life, I'm sort of a self-taught self-taught and not self-taught um, evaluator and data person. And so um, Ali Sheva had this amazing idea to see like, what, what would it be like to have kind of this research project about Judaism and to, to look at trends and to look at people's lives and, and get all of this data from real people on the ground. And of course that totally spoke to my nerdy data brain. Um, and so here we are starting the shindig together. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Me neither. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read um, our about page from our website. And if anyone's interested, it's judaisminthefield.com. And this is just sort of a more official um, explanation of what we're doing here and why we're having this conversation. So what is Judaism's spiritual value in a modern world? And how do we talk about it? These are the animated questions behind the project Besadeh, Judaism in the Field, and our podcast. Besadeh, uh, which means in the field, aspires to be the world's largest qualitative research project on Jewish wisdom, ritual, and practice as reported by real people. Despite all we've heard about a downturn in participation in Jewish community and increasing assimilation, we know that this isn't the full story. We, Elisheva and Dalia, your podcast hosts, have been engaged in and inspired by Judaism for decades. So this passion project was founded on our deep belief that Jewish traditions replete with timeless wisdom, beautiful symbolism, and practical tools to help people find meaning, lead fulfilling lives, and cope with the daily challenges we all face. We're ready to share these stories with anyone who's curious, whether you've studied Talmud for decades or are just beginning to explore what it means to be Jewish. For years, we've been working in the Jewish communal field, and we've seen firsthand the transformative value of Jewish practice, ritual, and tradition. We know that people are still converting to Judaism, formerly unaffiliated Jews are joining emergent communities and taking on leadership roles. People are creating new expressions of Judaism that we just couldn't have imagined before. And so Besadeh gathers these stories and amplifies these voices. Throughout the podcast, you'll hear stories from across the uh, de denominational spectrum, people who actively engage in and find fulfillment in their Judaism. In these down-to-earth conversations, we'll connect with rabbis, scholars, authors, lay leaders, and everyday seekers, and dive into the big ideas behind what Judaism looks, feels, and sounds like today. So that was a lot. That was a lot, but I think it was also such a great encapsulation of what we're trying to do here. Um, one thing I think we should dive into, Ali Shava, is why we're calling this the Sadeh. Yes, great question. Um, so there, I think there are a couple of reasons. The first and most obvious reason is that when we when we think about data and we think about a research project, um, we're really asking what X looks like in the field, um, in the field that we are um, investigating or exploring. So this being a research project, we felt like, what does you know Judaism look like in the field? Um, but of course, there's um, a very deep connection to the term in the field, um, Jewishly. And um, Dahlia, I'm sure you can explain this better than I can. But essentially, Elul, the, the Hebrew month of Elul, which we are just now beginning today, um, is the month leading up to the high holidays where we are reflective, we are returning, we're sort of turning back to our 
um, inner selves and our relationship with God, however we define that. Um, and so it is said that God himself is in the field right now. God is more accessible to us right now. Um, so I really love that that connection and, and um, that sort of the connecting of the original purpose of this podcast and this project to um, to the more meaningful and and deep application. I was muted. I always do that, um, but <laughs> God, um, caught it. yeah, <laughs> my dog was barking. So I was like, I should probably mute myself. And then if I don't unmute myself, then you can't hear what I'm saying. Um, yes, I totally love everything that you said. I think you encapsulated it so much. Um, typically the month of Elul, which is the month that is actually starting tonight is the month where we really, um, turn towards this idea of the king is in the field, hamelech besadeh, uh, the Hebrew word besadeh literally means in the field, and it's an attempt to draw us back, help us turn back to kind of the root of our spirituality, whether it's you believe in God, you believe in a higher power, you believe in the power of Judaism and community, whatever it is, it's really an invitation to turn back to your roots and to see what energizes you and to see how you can come closer to it. Um, and so this project is kind of our attempt to do that, not only during the month of Elul, um, but really hopefully uh, for the coming future. Um, hopefully, hopefully we'll have lots to talk about. I already know we have lots to talk about um, sure. and I'm excited to get started. Yeah. So let's get started then. Awesome. Um, great. So Dahlia, do you want to tell us uh, your story and, and how you grew up? Sure. Um, so I grew up um, a little bit similarly to you, Alishava, in the Los Angeles area. I was actually born in the Bay Area, moved to Los Angeles when I was 11 years old. And I grew up in a family that always sort of identified as modern Orthodox, Orthodox at points a little more right wing or left wing. Um, but that was really kind of my association with Judaism throughout my life, um, throughout elementary school, middle school, high school. I went to Jewish schools the entire time. I have a very strong foundation in Jewish text, Jewish learning, Jewish study. Um, and that strong foundation is all from a very Orthodox perspective. After high school, I spent two years studying in Israel, um, in Jerusalem. And then after that, I went to college on the East Coast, all again, all kind of very much with this lens of Judaism and Orthodoxy. Um, I got married, moved away, moved to a different community, and suddenly I sort of came to this realization of, okay, I know where I am on my Jewish journey. I still have so much to learn. I'm grappling with so much still because I think Judaism is a place where you are supposed to grapple all of the time. That's part of the beauty of it. Um, and I keep encountering all of these people who are so passionate and invested in their Judaism, and their Judaism looks nothing like mine. And so I wanted to kind of expose myself more to people who thought differently about Judaism or who had different upbringings or backgrounds um, and really start to consider the Jewish community as not just the Orthodox Jewish community as I grew up, but really this really rich landscape of text, of people, of traditions, of chosen identities, um, and start to understand what that meant across the landscape and the field. Um, and so that's me and that's where I am. And that's kind of how I came to this. Um, so Elisheva, how about you? How did you grow up? 
Sure. Um, and I felt like that was such a beautiful and beautifully succinct um, description. Um, so I will try to compete. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm um, a bit more loquacious, but um, <laughs> I have a very chatty toddler. So I'm used to trying to just like get my words in quickly and, and edgewise. Right. Right. You'll have to teach me some of your best practices. <laughs> um, so yeah, so my story, um, I, as I said, I grew up in LA and um, I have a huge Catholic family on both sides. Both my parents turned away from Catholicism because they thought not for me, not healthy for a number of reasons. Uh, my dad went Baptist, my mom went Buddhist. Um, and my dad married a Samoan woman who was Methodist and so I and who's been my stepmom ever since I was a year old and so I also grew up with her version of religion in my life as well um, but for the most part I considered myself Buddhist and I I grew up in my mom's um, community I um didn't understand early on um, that the community was a sort of extreme community and was what we would consider a cult. Um, and I, there was a lot of undoing that I had to do as I grew into my own spiritual self. Um, but there were things, there were gifts in, in that experience as well. Um, namely the, the quest for, um, something higher, the quest for enlightenment, the quest for learning, the quest for development. Um, but I always felt in any sort of religious um, setting growing up that there was something missing. There was there was this holiness piece that was missing. Um, and I, I, I couldn't really put my finger on it, but I think now in retrospect, it was really about ritual. It was about sanctifying moments in our lives, rites of passage, um, sanctifying time. Um, and again, I couldn't put my finger on it back then, but it took me a really long time to sort of come around to it. And when I did, it was like, oh, of course, Judaism is where I need to be. <laughs> like, of course, this fits me when this is what I'm looking for. Um, but anyway, I grew up going to, you know, Passover seders and Shabbat dinners at my friends' homes. I was very fluent in Jewish culture. Um, again, feeling like it wasn't a place for me like it was very much their thing and I had my thing and that's how it was but I rem remember feeling very envious of the bar and bat mitzvah experience um because I wanted that rite of passage into this next phase of my life and there was nothing like that in in the communities that I grew up in so um you know as I got older 20, 21 22 somewhere around there um I started realizing that there were not only pieces missing for me in the religion that I was um, that I was a part of, but also that that it was very unhealthy, and there were lots of reasons why I didn't want to be part of that community anymore, and so that set me on my own spiritual journey. And I read books from every religion imaginable, um, went to different services, and um, I actually went to. I actually explored so many religions before I even took a look at Judaism. And I think there was something subconscious in there where I still felt like it was very much somebody else's thing. Mm -hmm. um, but when I finally did open a book by Anita Diamant, the, um, the red tent author, um, I, it was like, a what an intro, what an intro to Judaism, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. Um, but she, she, did such a great job of um 
of poeticizing the jewels of Judaism. And I, I saw myself in the story. I saw myself in the those moments of ritual and and sanctity. I wanted that holiness and that application of holiness um, in terms of time and and not just space. Um, and so, you know, as I said, when I finally landed on it, it was like, oh, yeah, okay, this of course this is home. Um, and since then, yeah, since and if I, I converted in 2014. And since then, um, I, I feel like it's been a joy sort of catching up, like there's so much I get to learn. Um, and so I and, and I can never get deep enough, I can never go deep enough. That's one of the things I love most about Judaism is that I can just keep searching and keep digging. And there's always good stuff to find in here. Um, and there are, I've been a member of some incredible communities and people who are very engaged and very committed to Jewish life. And on the other hand, I've seen, especially like the friends that I grew up with being like, yeah, okay, I had a bat mitzvah, but like, what's so special? You know, I don't really care. I'd rather go to yoga, you know, um, yeah, I'd rather totally. do find my spirituality another way. Um, yeah. And so that sort of juxtaposition has always been interesting to me. And I'm, I'm hoping to bridge that gap a little bit. That's super interesting also, because I think part of what you were saying about, you know, the ritual aspect and the demarcation of time aspect being so important and something you were really yearning for, I think from, from my experience, that's kind of the thing that become that can become rote so easily. You're just like, okay, it's like another Shabbat. It's another, you know, got to make sure all your electricity is set before you have to light candles. And like, it's the same old, same old. And I love that you, I love your perspective on it. Cause I think it brings kind of this, it, it, it brings a little bit more energy to this idea of this is not a rote thing. It's not supposed to be rote. It's supposed to be a renewal, actually, every time you do it. It's supposed to be right. deeper and more meaningful than that. Um, so I love that perspective. I will try to bring that perspective to my candlelighting tonight. <laughs> um, Alishava, can I ask you a little something about your story? Please. So looking back in terms of the way that you grew up in this um, borderline cult experience that I'm so sorry for all of the ways that it was painful, <laughs> but thank you for sharing it with us. Um, and it sounds like that was a little bit formative in terms of that kind of started your path on spirituality and you're noticing that there was just like some piece missing. Do you think that without that beginning, you would have ended up with Judaism? I think I probably would have, if, if only from my belief that all Jews who were ever Jews will be Jews again. Um, yeah. And that I, I know my soul was at Mount Sinai. And so there will all, there would have always been that yearning for me to find my home. Um, totally. At the same time, my sort of practice of Judaism or, or my relationship to it might've looked different had I not grown up in such a uh, spiritual household with, um, with such an emphasis on, um, spiritual growth and self-improvement and that kind of stuff. Got it. That makes total sense. Um, but I love that like everybody who is a Jew is meant to be a Jew one way or another. Um, right. And totally by the way, there is me. <laughs> yeah, sure. We won't let um, you go. We're very, you're supposed to be with us. We're very graspy people. Right. <laughs> I know. I've heard that once, once you're in, you can't get out. <laughs> so. I know we're a little like hotel California that way. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I can appreciate that. Um, <laughs> and also, by the way, there are more, I knew more Jewish people in the Buddhist cult than I knew outside of it. Um, there, there's, I don't know if you've heard the term Buj, uh, Jubu or, or I've, there's, I've heard of it. I, I've never really heard a definition, but I sort of kind of intuited what it meant. Right. Um, there was this book that was popular when I was studying in Israel called Letters to a Buddhist Jew by Rabbi mm. Akiva Tatz. And it basically is, it's an epistolary, it's just, it's letters back and forth between Rabbi Akiva Tatz, who is a, a rabbi, scholar, et cetera, um, and uh, has written many books, and a Jewish man who identified as Buddhist. And so um, I, I admit, I never really read through the entire book. I have it in my parents' house, um, but I did buy it. Um, and there is, I think, throughout, I've heard always these parallels between Judaism and Buddhism. Um, so it doesn't, I'm curious to hear more about that um, because I, I don't really know more than kind of that um, very, very surface level explanation, but I would love to hear more and understand more about why that it makes sense to me from what I know, but I would love to go deeper. Yeah, me too. And um, I'm happy to to leave that for another episode. Um, totally. But just generally, um, it's it was very interesting to me and still is very interesting to me that there is clearly a synergy between Judaism and Buddhism. Um, otherwise, there wouldn't be that that trend or that or that theme. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so Elisheva, what parts of Judaism do you gravitate towards most? Hmm, that is a great question. Davening prayer um, is very important to me. It's it's one of those um, it's one of the major sort of sort of focal points of my practice. Um, I, I really gravitate to anything that allows me to connect with God, um, which I mean, you could say that all all meets vote are are there to allow you to connect with God, but that's one of the ways that I like to do it. Um, I also going back to that that piece around ritual. I gravitate to all of our rituals and traditions. Candle lighting is very important to me and my family. Um, uh, Shabbat dinner and you know doing kiddush and and blessing the children and those things are are really um, really special to me. And um, study, I think, is probably my my number one all time fave. Um, I just <laughs> can open any, whether it's a scriptural book um, or it's a book about Jewish life in some way, um, I will just open and highlight and annotate any, any old book. How about you? Um, I think you kind of hit on the things that are what I gravitate towards to most. My, my, my number one, I think would be study just, and not in necessarily in a formal way, although it could be in a formal way, but I just I tend to be a very curious person and I just love to learn new things. I love to learn new ideas. I love to delve into different things. And, um, and as much as I love orthodoxy and I love to bring up orthodox, there can sometimes be this very clear demarcation of like, this is the right way and this is the wrong way, or these texts are right and this text is wrong. Um, and once I sort of started to unpack that a little bit more and open myself up, it was like it opened up a whole wealth of Jewish knowledge that I didn't know existed. And so mm -hmm. I, the way that you talked about catching up before, I, I also feel a little bit like I'm in a catch up mode of there's just so much out here. There's just so much out here that um, 
either I didn't know about or I was taught in a specific way and perhaps it wasn't necessarily, I wouldn't have interpreted it the same way um, if I had learned it now, which I also maybe sounds like an episode for a different time. Um, but then the other way that I love to connect to my Judaism is anything I think that feels like a connection point. So anytime that invites us to pause um, and reflect, um, I, I struggle with formalized prayer. Um, but as much as I struggle with it, when I, when I engage in it, I'm so deeply satisfied and humbled by how powerful the experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I engage in a lot of informal prayer too, uh, particularly as, yeah. as, as a mom, I think that's just something that happens a lot. Um, and so anything, yeah, anything that kind of invites that connection point that pause for reflection. So lighting candles on Shabbat, um, blessing the children, um, even something like a, a, a you know, a, a Shabbat or Yom Tov, a, a holiday meal where it's like, yeah, there's food and it's so fun and you get to connect with people, but there is an element of preparation that takes a certain amount of focus and, um, intensity that, um, I just really, I just really dig those moments that allow the rest of the world to fall away. And mm. that really invite kind of the, the experiential, of Judaism. That's so beautiful. And I really resonate with what you were saying, especially around, um, around those, those moments or those days where you get to separate yourself from the hustle and bustle of, of everyday life. And you really get to tune into something else. I think it's, it's interesting because I didn't mention Shabbat, um, in my, in my spiel, but um, I think it's because Shabbat means something different to me now and sort of looks different to me, to me now from the pandemic um, mm-hmm. than it did originally. Mm-hmm. But originally I would have said to anybody who asked that Shabbat converted me. It was like Shabbat oh. was was the thing that was really the most attractive um, piece and the most, um, the most, uh, full of opportunity for, um, connection to something sacred. Totally. I always, I used to, um, I still am pretty glib, um, (laughs) in my more kind of glib moments, I, I joke that if I ever walked away from Judaism, I would still keep Shabbat because Shabbat is, maybe it's because I'm an introvert. Maybe it's because I love to read. Maybe it's because I, there's just something about the day, but like Shabbat is where it is at for me. I, oh man, I just love it so much. And so I just like could not imagine my life without it. Mm. Um, which also maybe sounds like a podcast for another time. Um, yeah, this is great. I know you're making me think of all kinds of things. Like, um, I think it was reboot who did the, uh, the national day of unplugging, which oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I actually participated in a few years before converting. It was like, oh, nice. it's yeah, it's a great initiative. Yeah. Our brains need a break, man. Our brains need a break. Yes, for sure. Amen to that. And so in terms of um, daily practice or, you know, what your Jewish life looks like day to day, what are, what are some ways that it actually helps you with challenges um, or the more challenging moments in your life? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, I think all, I think really in terms of the day-to-day life, it is those invitations to pause 
that really sort of help ground me. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people right now, we're still in post-pandemic life. There is still just so much going on. Um, I work from home. So it's like, there is this element of like, my work is in my house and everything just feels kind of jumbled up. And so I think those, those areas of Judaism that really allow me to bring intention into my day. So whether that's, um, I try as often as I can to pray afternoon prayers, which are called mincha. Um, so whether it's stepping away to daven mincha, daven is the uh, Yiddish word for prayer. So whether it's stepping away to, to daven mincha or whether it's pausing to say a blessing over my food or pausing to say a blessing after my food or um, whether it's pausing to read a little bit about the weekly Torah portion um, called the Parsha. Uh, it's just those moments I think that that where I'm allow where I'm allowing myself to not get caught up in the hamster wheel of what it sometimes means to be a human right now. Um, right. And those are kind of, I think the, the moments where I feel just kind of the most grateful for my tradition, my religion, all of that. What yeah, about you, Alicia? Sure. Oh, that's great. Um, I really, I really resonate with that. And I feel like I, that's a lesson for me that I'm going to take away from this conversation <laughs> because the pausing is so necessary. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, at the risk of being repetitive, I think study is a huge, mm. uh, a huge part of it for me. And in my daily life, going through whatever challenges come up, I can always find some sort of inspiration or some sort of perspective from study um, and particularly Torah study or, or um, studying the Tanakh, which is like the full, the full Bible, including the, um, the prophets and um, writings. Um, but opening my, opening my Bible and especially reading the weekly Torah portion or reading and Psalms and Proverbs are always gold for me or Isaiah. Um, but I tend to find, especially if I'm reading, reading the weekly Parsha or the weekly Torah portion, I tend to find something that's really relevant to what I'm going through. And I can sort of pull wisdom um, and inspiration from there and, and some fortitude for moving forward. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I love that. Um, yes, our, our tradition is so rich and deep and I just love it so much. Agreed. Um, okay. Alishava, you ready for the next yeah. question? I'm ready. Uh, awesome. Okay. So tell me about a time you had a specific problem that you leaned on your spirituality to solve. Oh boy. Yeah. So I, I'm a stepmother, um, very newly a stepmother and, uh, my, my stepson, Max is the most adorable kid in the universe next to his brother. Um, and he's, um, very special in many ways. He's also a child, which means that he can be self-centered. Sometimes he can demand what he wants and things of that nature. And that can sometimes present problems as it, as it would, uh, in, in most families, um, there's nothing unique about his his situation in that way, but it's definitely something that as parents we need to look at and we need to sort of solve for. Um, and so I had really uh, been racking my brain for a while on how to get him to see the world that is beyond himself um, and to see just how blessed he is and just how much he has. Um, and so, you know, I tried some parenting techniques and tips and I had, uh, I prayed about it. I talked to people about it. I asked for advice and 
the the one thing that actually helped and that actually stuck was um, volunteering and sort of both us uh, like both us as parents and for Max to volunteer um, really sort of opened his life in a in a different way and opened his mind in a different way and I felt had an impact um, in a way that nothing else could and I think that's a very uniquely I mean every religious tradition has this principle um, but I think I connect it to the Jewish principles of tzedakah um, and tikkun olam and sort of sort of restoring the balances so you know, as you give of yourself, you're actually not giving something that belongs to you, but belongs to God, belongs to, you know, the universe as a whole. And you are just, you know, putting it in the hands of the person who, who needs it at that time. Um, and yeah, I think that that is, um, the most recent sort of application of, of a challenge and, and how my, my Judaism and my relationship, uh, to our, um, to our sort of ethos, um, plays out. Totally. Um, I love that answer so much. And I love that the volunteering was the answer to this particular problem. I think it's such a beautiful, elegant response. Um, you know, for me, it doesn't necessarily feel like there's one specific thing. Like, you know, there's all the other stuff we talked about of like taking pause and and moments to connect and all of that. But for me, I think what's actually helped most in my life that I gravitate towards um, is actually more of a concept that feels foundational to Judaism, which is like that it's okay to grapple with things. It's okay mm -hmm. to struggle. Um, yes. it's okay. Like, you know, sometimes to grow means to, to struggle through something. Um, and there have been times when I've struggled hard. Um, yeah. and so leading back on that Jewish principle of, of struggling, of asking questions of, of I'm trying to understand of, you know, breaking your brain over something to try to understand it. All of that kind of lives way back for through the old testament when um the jewish nation newly formed was like really not shy about crying their struggles to to god um even all the way through you know the talmud these are people who struggle to answer questions and the talmud is like pages and pages of these arguments trying to get to the nugget of truth in this one question and so i think for me it's less about a specific time and more about this foundational idea that um, when I'm having a hard time or when I'm struggling or when I'm grappling with something in my life or with something in, in Judaism, um, it's okay. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just part of the experience. It's not something that I need to feel shame around. It's just part and parcel of what it means to be a Jew. It's part and parcel of what it means to be a human. Um, yes. And that to me just feels really, really comforting. It is. It is. Oh, I, I love, I love what you said. And I feel like it's um, knowing that it is not separate from the process or separate from the journey, but a key part of it is really? gold. Um, and, and actually I'll say this as somebody who's been a member of a, a an unhealthy religious community. Um, I think that that is the most healthy um 
part of Judaism and makes Judaism one of the most healthy religions. And obviously that can, you know, that varies community to community, person to person. But um, I find that to be one of the major pieces of gold of um, Jewish life that you can, you can struggle with something and you can argue with something and still love it at the end of the day. And I've learned from my Jewish community that you can argue with someone about, about <laughs> you know, about, totally. about one of these things and still love them at the end of the day. And that's, you know, from, for somebody who um, grew up where you were not allowed to ask questions and you weren't allowed mm-hmm. to look outside of the tradition for answers, um, you had to accept the answers that were, were being given you. And as soon as you did dissent, you were excluded and, you know, um, that, that is, um, I I said this already, but it's gold, you know, it's, um, very meaningful. Yeah. And that's kind of one of my pet peeves for religious teachers. Um, this is, I think, especially, I don't know, maybe it happens in other denominations of Judaism too, but it happens especially in the Orthodox world, especially in the right-wing Orthodox world when we're studying text. There's this inherent desire to explain away any humanity in the text, any struggles yeah. of the text. You know, there's, we're talking about the four mothers, four, four fathers and the four mothers. Um, anytime it's, it says in the, in the straight up text, which is called the pshat reading the, um, if they, if they struggle with something, if they did something wrong, it says straight out in the text that, you know, uh, Rachel, Rachel in Hebrew, Rachel struggled uh, with, with jealousy over her sister Leah because Leah could have children and Rachel couldn't. Um, and I just remember teachers trying to explain that away as like, how dare we ever say anything that these people struggled in a human way. They were so close to the divine. But like, to, to struggle is that, that, when yes. you take away the humanity of it, then like, what's the point? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so that like, this is such a major pet peeve of mine to explain away these struggles as like, well, we are not even worthy of understanding them. And um, we are, you know, we, we can't even understand it on a human level, really their struggles were so esoteric and godlike. And maybe that's true, but I think that also really negates the human kernel of truth of like, it's hard to be human sometimes. And Judaism provides us a really great framework and really great tools to be human and to take the humanity out of it kind of sucks. Um, yeah. So, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so that's kind of one of my biggest pet peeves about that. And so, um, because I think Judaism offers so much to those of us who are struggling. Um, right. So, and that's, so that's like, so what, int- like, what's the point if you take that away, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so interesting because I see the Torah as the most human document that there is, you know, I, I I think as you're reading these stories, it's like, there's, there's God in it all, but I I think part of God being in it is us being human. Does that make sense? I mean, totally. it's such a, um, it's such a great representation of what it means to be human. People mm-hmm. are so faulty, you know, they're so unreliable um, yeah. and they do some crazy things. And this is like, you know, if you think about Aaron, the high priest um, who, who is deemed worthy enough to be the first high priest of our community, helping to create a golden calf. It's like, mm-hmm. this is how unreliable people are. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think that what makes the Torah so um special for me 
personally, um, is that it's so relatable because people are, are such people in it <laughs> and that totally. doesn't take away from the holiness at all. Not at all. I think it adds to it, right? Our tradition says that we're made in the image of God, right? Like to be human is to be holy. We all have a spark of the divine. And that means all of us, whether or not, I mean, also, you know, like whether or not you believe in the divine, there is, there is something miraculous about existing on earth, um, if, whether or whatever your relationship to the divine may be. Um, and I think the Torah also is full of a lot of lessons that, um, we should not deify other humans um, to the point where right. we follow them blindly, right? Like there's right. all of these amazing lessons that really hammer home the importance of treating humans as humans. Yes. Um, and I think that's such a crucial element that can sometimes get missed or skipped over or um, can turn really problematic when that turns into something like humans can be elevated above other humans. Um, to to a point where like well we just don't understand and then I think that that leads us to a point of like we're afraid to question we're afraid to grapple and then it's like well what are we even doing here <laughs> right <laughs> right I could not agree more yep can be that can be problematic yeah well, Elishava, this chat has been amazing I hope whoever is listening uh, understands a little bit more about us and where we're coming from and what we hope to explore with this, with this project of ours <laughs> um, and why we feel like it's so important to, to take on even among our busy lives. Um, and so thank you all for, for listening and for joining us. Um, Elisheva, what's next? Yes. Um, and to echo you, Dahlia, thank you so much to those of you who are listening. Uh, hope you'll listen again. I'm so energized by this conversation and um, I can't wait to see what else we uncover through this season, through our coming um, podcast episodes. We're also going to be launching a newsletter. So um, I encourage you all to sign up for that at judaisminthefield.com. Uh, I think what Dolly and I are planning currently is to do one podcast episode every other month. And then in the alternating months, we'll send out a newsletter, which speaks to the same sort of themes of our podcast, but from a different angle, um, bringing in different people and different perspectives, different stories all across the denominational spectrum, um, but always uh, bringing us back to this question of what is the treasure of Judaism and Jewish practice in the modern world. So we hope you will um, take this journey with us. We're looking forward to chatting with a number of spectacular guests, and we're looking forward to connecting with you. Mm -hmm.